Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Hermanos y hermanas, my brothers and my sisters, the show is packed today, so I'm not going to go through it in detail each little item that we're going to cover because it'll just take too much time. The prelog, the pre- preamble to each of them explains, but here's what I want to talk about today. Here at KPFT, we are a community radio station, and what I want to do is make sure that that community stays in the entire sentence, the entire phrase. So I have a task for all of my listeners. Please, please, please. If there are stories you want covered, whether locally, nationally, but has in that we know it's important to those in our metropolitan area, in our area of coverage, send me a line, info at politicsdoneright.com. Info at politicsdoneright.com because we are here to serve you. We need to find out all the things that you want covered, what you agree with, what you don't dis- what you don't agree with. Now, if you disagree with me on something, feel free to do so. I'll also put you on air to disagree with, with me. If I agree with you, I'll tell you that I agree with you. If I don't, I'll remain in disagreement with you, but we will remain friends. I want you to tell you something. Send us what you want. This is your station. I tell everybody who listens to Politics Done Right, and I mean that from the depths of my heart, this is your show. We're doing this to uplift the community. We're doing this to empower all of us to take take over our democracy, to make sure that those who claim are working for us, they are in fact working for us. So please, Drop me a line, info at politicsdoneright.com. Egberto me gusta esto. Egberto, I like that. Egberto no me gusta esto. Egberto, I don't want that I, or whatever. Now, again, remember, we want a information. We want data. We want to hear your voices from all sides. And we don't want you to be shy about it. We don't want you to hold back because you're scared what somebody's going to think about you when you say something. This is Politics Done Right. The only way we cure ourselves as a country is everybody unabashedly feel the ability to make themselves heard no matter what they're saying. So before we know, let's get it done. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right. On YouTube Live at politics slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station 
in your minds, KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support, that is there to provide what that nourishment that we need. 713-526-5738. KPFT.org. Visit us online. Contribute online. KPFT. 90.1 90.1 FM. You can visit us at kpft.org. Para ver, you know what time it is? What do I say? Let's get busy. I want you to listen to this piece because it is an important piece from a very intelligent Republican woman based on what she said in this particular interview. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. It's November's midterms. That's inflation, identity politics, what they call identity politics, and immigration. And just like a laser pen with a cat, it will likely work with their voters. But Lucy, I have to start with you because you're not in the Republican Party anymore. Um, and I love our conversations because I feel like you're just as outraged uh, as many of us as, as uh, you see the Republican Party openly embrace um, a, a lot of things that they've tra- trafficked in for a long time. I, I have to ask, though, I mean, because you still talk to Republicans, I'd imagine. Um, the, I don't understand how the GOP can run on anything other than, hey, guys, sorry we tried to overthrow the government and the will of the people. And we're really working on not being the party of white supremacy. Yet, I fear that these three eyes will actually work with their base voters. What do you think? Well, I think it's true. I think there is evidence to suggest it will work with their base voters. And that's in part based on how Democrats respond to these Republican talking points. I mean, when you look at someone like Steve Bannon being indicted a few weeks ago, he did it live streamed. He pled, he pled not guilty. He did a big parade. He, you know, had tens of millions of people downloading his live stream all over the country because that is the power of the Trump cult. Right. But I think that Democrats often when they're addressing would be voters and no one's going to like to hear me say this, but everyone has a vote that counts. They are treating moderate voters as though they are part of the Trump cult and you are either with the Trump cult or you're not. Now, I am, as you say, a former Republican, and my litmus test for a candidate is, do you completely repudiate Trump and Trumpism and the proto-fascism that is today's Republican Party? Unfortunately, the Republicans I talk to, even those who are, say, would-be Biden voters, they do not feel that way going into 2022. They're not thinking about that as they think ahead to 2024. And so this is a matter of really appealing to their better angels. So we're asking them to do something that's hard. We're asking them to do something uncomfortable. You mentioned the identity politics. That's a huge issue. We need to run into those issues and say, why do you feel like things are changing in the way that your children are being taught in schools? How can we have a conversation about that? Could we appeal to your sense of of maybe a better way? Because unfortunately, the you're with Trump, you're against Trump, you're for democracy, you're not for democracy. That's not working. So we have to find a new way to appeal to those would-be centrist voters because at the end of the day, they're all going to go turn out and vote. <laughs> yeah. And you know, honestly, Lucy, we have to be honest about identity politics because when we say things like NASCAR dads or soccer moms, all the euphemisms that the media has for traditionally white voters, that's also identity politics. Uh, and you know, it shouldn't be that hard. 
We, it shouldn't be that hard. It should not be that hard. But if you notice what um, that Republican operative said, it's very important. She pointed out, and I think Democrats should heed this former Republican. She said the following, it is not working. Trying to malign Trump with some of these guys, it is not working. Additionally, trying to tell them otherwise, it is not working. She said, Talk to them like I've spoken in my book. It's worth it. How to talk to your right wing relatives, friends and neighbors. It's worth it. It really is. It is exactly what we need to do. Let me first tell you a little story about when I talk to people, mostly at my progressive sites and tell them that I speak to everybody. I want to I want to speak to Eric Hayes. I want to speak to Daniel Ledo. Now, Eric Hayes and Daniel Ledo are hardcore and I don't have any thought of trying to change their votes, etc., because they don't have any desire to change. They have no desire to see truth. They have desire to come back all the time. But most people want to see truth. What people like Eric and Daniel do for me is they give me an opportunity to articulate on the fallacies that they articulate on so that the people that follow them would hear the truth out of us and say, ah, after all, Daniel is full of it. Okay, so that's that's one of the. But what she says there is even deeper. She says, why do you want to have these people with you respecting you? And it's important because they vote. If you got anything out of the clip that we just played, because they vote. I've been told by my liberal protégés, forget about trying to talk to those folks on the right. They're nuts. They're crazy. It's not worth it. Many have told me that. And what this, not this woman just says is absolutely true. They vote. They vote. They vote. And you know what's the problem with many of the people on the left? They don't vote. If all the people on the left voted and all the people on the right voted, we would have left-wing landslide elections all the time because we support what the people say they want. Look in the polls. The, the, nobody wants to call themselves a liberal. Nobody wants to call themselves a progressives. But when you ask them what policies you want, they all come and they say, we like what you're saying. We love what you're saying. So therefore, but they don't vote. So I love that woman who just said, remember these people all vote. Jen Psaki did a good job today. She handed Donald Trump's behind to uh, Peter Ducey today, and she did it with class, as usual. I want you to check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. A lot of talk about the first Trump-Biden debate today, but at the second one in 2020, when roughly 220,000 Americans had already died of COVID, Joe Biden said about Trump, anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Is that still the standard now that more Americans have died under President Biden than President Trump? Well, I think the fundamental question here is what are you doing to save lives and protect people? And the former president was suggesting people inject bleach. He apparently reportedly didn't even share with people he was going to interact with that he had tested positive for COVID himself. He continued to provide a forum for misinformation, which probably led to people not getting, uh, not taking steps forward to get to protect themselves, to wear masks, to eventually get vaccinated. This president has made the vaccine widely available. He's relied on the health, uh, the advice of his health and medical experts, and he is trying to be a part of solving this crisis, getting the pandemic under control. And I think there's a pretty stark difference between their approaches. Here's the deal. It is true that 
uh, that there are probably going to be more people dying under uh, Biden with COVID than under Donald Trump. But there's a reason why, of course, because COVID started late in Donald Trump's administration and it's going to probably last through the entire Biden administration. But you know what should have happened? I think what Jen Psaki should have done immediately as soon as he brought that up is like, I am trying to save all the people that Donald Trump killed. She, she didn't quite say that. She said, reminded everybody that Trump uh, was actually infected with COVID even as he went for the debate. He was infected with COVID even as he infected a whole lot of people uh, that, that surrounded him. But she needed to come with a little bit more pressure, I think. I mean, she did a good job. But next time, Saki, please say, I am cleaning up the debts that Donald Trump left me. Had Donald Trump Deal dealt with COVID the way President Obama de dealt with Ebola, the entire world would have been in better shape right now. I mean, there, there's so many things that we can use to just start up cauterizing people's head that Donald Trump, the, the creep that he was, caused the deaths of all these people that are dying. This is not on the watch of Biden. This is on the watch of Donald Trump. Republican operative Stuart Michael really let the GOP have it. You have to see this to understand exactly what is happening in the Republican Party. He is one who really hit all the nails on the head. Check this out and then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. This one or this takedown is necessary, but more importantly, this takedown is on point and it, it's not meant to be difficult. It just lays it out as it is. Check this out. What all of this after the election was about is evil. Yeah, and that's, the point about, that's such a good point about the Muslim ban, because that was really, to me, that was the moment of that campaign where we had entered into a new world. It was just obviously the case that if you replace Muslim with another religious group, if you said, if a, a candidate for America, president gets up and gets, not a single Jew should set foot in this country. Obviously despicable measure and completely disqualifying from all public life. And Trump says it with Muslims and it's not disqualifying. And so the die was cast then. But the straddling is the thing that Kevin McCarthy is trying to do. Yeah, I mean, look, this isn't unusual. How often have we seen people be silent in the face of evil, particularly ambitious politicians who think yeah. that they can manage this? I mean, this is 1930s Germany. Yeah, You know, the South Africa had truth and, and reconciliation. Some of these people in the Republican Party want to have reconciliation without truth. It doesn't work. You have to call this out. You have to say, I will not be part of a party that mocks other religions. That is an fundamentally anti-constitutional effort to put an autocracy in America. You just can't do it. And this is why I say that you have to burn the party to the ground. You have to start over. This is, there's not a conservative philosophy here. Nobody in America can tell you what the Republican Party stands for in any conservative sense. There's no logic there. There's no coherent form of government or theory of government, which is why they don't really participate in governing. Yeah. They're just in the business of electing Democrats, which is what a cartel is really, not a political party. You occasionally watch different politicians try to come up with some sort of like, for lack of a better word, third way, right? So there's there are folks like yourself, there are Kinzinger and Cheney, there are people who I would call sort of like never Trumpers who are, who are sort of consider themselves Republicans, 
or conservatives who are opposed to Trump. I think you've left the party and, and, and Cheney and Kinzinger haven't. And then there's the attempts by Christie and Nancy Mace to find some sort of middle ground or something that's Trump adjacent, but critical in certain ways. And it, it just strikes me that even if there was a market for it among the voters of the general population within the party itself, there's just no demand for that, essentially. No, the party is a Donald Trump party. This is sometimes I think that we make the mistake of looking at the Republican Party and saying, how did they go wrong here? How did they you know, take this wrong turn or something? How did they get hijacked? None of that happened. This is what the Republican Party wants to be. This is why I was really forced when I confronted this myself, which was not a pleasant experience, to call this book I wrote, it was all a lie. Because I don't know any other way to reconcile this. You you don't abandon deeply held beliefs in a few years. It just means you didn't deeply hold them. You can't say that we're just going to ignore the past. It never works. That's, that's um, a perfect example of, of what I'm talking about. This idea that, like, my proposal is not to talk about the central defining questions <laughs> facing the party in American democracy I, and focus on, you know, we don't like inflation or Joe Biden is like, that's not going to that's not going to cut it, buddy. It's not the world that we live in. Yeah, it's a world that I'd like to live in. I think I'd like to have two parties that had opposing philosophies of government so we could get back to talking about these differences. But that's not what we happen. No. We have one party that is for democracy and we have one party that's for autocracy and all the rest is just noise. All these ads that we made about capital gains tax and health care, none of that matters. No. The central truth is, is American democracy going to survive? That is prescient. One, can American democracy survive if the Republican Party, the party who wants to be who they are today, takes over? And that is the real question. And that is the work we have ahead of us. We cannot allow the fallacies. We cannot allow what these guys purport to portray become a reality. The truth is, Stuart Stevens has the, hits the nail on the head. One, the party has to be burned to the ground. And that is figuratively, of course. But two, uh, it has always been, as he wrote in his book, the policies that this particular party supports, it was always a lie. Now, he believes in the conservative issues. Stevens does. Don't, don't dare not believe that. He believes in the true tenets of conservatism. Most of us knew it was never practical. But what he realizes now is everything the Republican Party claimed it was, was nothing but a lie. We call foul on these Western countries that decided to impose a travel ban on Southern Africa. I wonder why. You know, it's always easy. It is always easy if something seemed to have maybe originated in Africa. We immediately react, right? Well, here's the deal. Uh, the Omicron seemed to have been found in South Africa, but guess where it seemed to have been found earlier? The Netherlands, did the United States put a break on the Netherlands? Did they say, let's stop all traffic from the Netherlands now? I don't think so. But did they do that to South Africa, South Africa and the southern countries? Why is it always so easy on some people to hurt first and ask questions later and on others err on the side 
on which could actually cause major harm as occurred during the inception of this disease, of this pandemic. Anyhow, I want you to listen to this and then let's go ahead and take it on the other side. Gives full context of these shenanigans. Check this out, we'll take it on the other side. This is not the end of the story with how old a person needs to be to get boosters. I think we will see the age potentially decrease, but not quickly. And doctor, the president's travel ban, according to him, is really his way of trying to buy time and essentially to, to learn more about this variant. But these bans have drawn criticism from South African leadership as well as others. Was it the right move? I think it was uh, one of the right moves that's necessary. Look, I've, I've had to work in kind of a, both a policy and political environment, and sometimes you have to respond to both. And if we were the only country that had zero travel bans, it would have stuck. Not only would it have looked irresponsible because it is, but it would also beg to question what are we doing as a country? What I do have an issue with, Jose, is that if you look at where we've banned, it's Southern African countries. We now have cases of community transmission from other countries, and we have not banned travel from there. I'm not an advocate of saying that we should ban from these other countries, but if we're going to apply a policy, it should probably be applied evenly and equitably. We're now learning that this was detected in the Netherlands at least five days before South Africa started sounding the alarm. There are travel bans in place in a number of countries around the world, including uh, in the United States. What do we know about where this originated? Now, are we even sure that it did start in South Africa? Yeah, I mean, Katie, uh, I can't tell you where it originated. I think that scientists and immunologists are still trying to figure that out themselves. It's clear that what this new information is going to lead to is more protests from South Africa and Southern African countries that they are being discriminated against, that these travel bans were unsuitable, that they were just knee-jerk reactions, and that they're punishing South Africa for their candor, for coming out and saying, here is the new variant, and we've figured it out, we've identified it, and now their economy is being punished for that. And so we've already heard that from Cyril Ramaphosa. He's the president of South Africa. And now that we know that this was in the Netherlands before that, we're probably going to hear that more. But it's important to note still, Katie, most of those cases, and here in Europe, there's 42 cases in 10 different countries. So this is spreading very fast. That number is probably already out of date. Um, there's already 22 here in the UK. We can expect that those numbers are going to be increasing dramatically. But still, Katie, important to note, most of those cases still have some connection back to Southern Africa. Not all of them, but most of them. So whether it was actually whether the virus, whether the mutation comes from Southern Africa, as was suspected at first, or whether or not it came from Europe and went to back to Europe by way of South Africa, it's really impossible to know. And again, scientists are going to have to figure that out as they figure everything else out. You know, as, as I watched that, I, I, I got even more upset because, and let me tell you why. America, rich country. UK, rich country. France, rich country. The Netherlands, rich country. These are all countries that have a, they have a lot of vaccine. They've, they've been able to use the resources of, from around the world, the intellect from around the world to build these things. Now, here's the kicker. Uh, the, the country with the most deaths per capita in this in this pandemic is the United States, the richest country, right? Uh, we have vaccines, we have everything at our disposals, and people are dying still because we just won't do the right thing. Countries like Panama and Costa Rica and all these other countries, third world countries you call them, 
You know, we call these guys third countries. We call these, we make believe that there's something wrong with these countries, right? But they've been handling the, without having vaccines, they've been getting less sick because they've followed the rules. They've covered up. They've had their, their you know, in, in the case of Panama, they had people on hold. They kept people in, 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 in homes and gave them stipends, etc., etc., to ensure that the pandemic gets mitigated, gets attenuated, right? So they're doing the right thing. These other countries that they want their freedoms and all of these kinds of things, they didn't, the results, even with all these vaccines, weren't all that good. And yet, when it is time to be equitable in the way we deal with, 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 with these countries, we have no problem saying, shut the door on South Africa, shut the door on Lesotho, shut the door on Botswana. Because they, you know, the virus could be coming from there. But you know what? The virus knows not what whom carries it. The virus is deadly. And those who don't want to follow the rules succumb to it. South Africa did the right thing in exposing that to the world. A virus that was in the Netherlands apparently discovered more than five days before with no advance notice that said, hey, the Netherlands, we are, we are showing the world that there is a new variant where there are over 30 mutation on the spike protein, which will make many of the vaccines less effective. The first country to tell you that was South Africa, South Africa. And for, being, for doing the right thing, South Africa's travel gets banned. The Netherlands squeaks by. Why? Joanne Reed has a message for the Democratic Party. Because I really, and I've been playing some of these for a while, and, and, and deliberately so. Because I think right now the, Republican, the Democratic Party's messaging has been derelict. And I think it is time that, uh, that folks take it more seriously and folks start realizing that it's something that we've got to take care of. Check this out. Happening at a time when there's like a normal political conversation going on among Democrats about what to do about the economy. Because Joe Biden, who is not a Ronald Reagan, he's not a seller, right? But he is like a normal guy. So that when he talks, he sounds like a normal person. So he could, in theory, get out there and say, look, I get that it's taken a long time to get your couch you ordered, but the economy's really good. Tom, I'll stay with you on this. A, do you think it would matter in an environment where the other party has gone full political violence and fascist? Would it even matter at this point if Biden tried to do the normal political thing of selling the economy? Yeah, I think it might. But there's a problem in the Democratic Party where if if there's a if people say, look, but I'm unemployed or I'm suffering or my family is running into trouble, Democrats by their nature say, OK, then then things aren't good. Right. Um, whereas, you know, the Republicans and Reagan in particular had a real talent for saying, I understand that. And but, you know, things are improving. Things are better. And I think Democrats almost feel guilty about doing that when they know that there are people you know, suffering. Um, you know, it, it, it feels wrong to them. The Republicans, Reagan in particular, could say unemployment is X percent. And someone would say, I don't but I don't have a job. Democrats say, you're right. Things are bad. Reagan would say. <laughs> I understand, but you're going to have a job soon. And that's the difference. And I think especially with a Republican Party that has no optimism left, that has no positive message left, that Biden needs to step forward and to be that happy warrior, because that's who Joe Biden used to be. And, and mm -hmm. the office clearly weighs on him. But he could he could make that that case, I think. 
And here's the thing, Dean. I think that Tom is right. Democrats are sort of weighed down by their empathy, where they're like, if one person is down, they go, oh, my God, you're right. Everything is terrible. We're just and then they go down and they start to do the beans. And they're like, we're going to fix these beans and we're going to make it work. Other than Bill Clinton, who if he was in the same situation, would be out there going, you know, I know things seem bad right now, but let me play this saxophone. You know, and then they would be like, oh, you know, and, and everybody would be distracted. Democrats in general don't have that talent. So what do you think that they are going to be able to do about it now so that they don't get shellacked? Because by the way, this isn't me as a partisan. If they go down, democracy goes down with them. Yeah, I agree. By the way, that Reagan commercial was the whitest commercial I've seen in a long time. It was unbelievable. <laughs> but that's why that it worked. That, all different shades of white people. And that's what he was going for. Let's be blunt. Look, Joe Biden and the Democrats. Biden, you've got the Biden economic miracle. Go out there and talk about it. Unemployment in Trump's last full month in office, 6.7 percent. Today, 4.6 percent. Black unemployment down. Hispanic unemployment down. Stock market, all-time highs. Remember when Trump would get a high? He would tweet about it. And there'd be press everywhere. Biden doesn't want to talk about it. They don't want to brag. Enjoy. It's about messaging. You get two Democrats on TV. You get three opinions. Democrats, you got to work on your messaging. you got to work with someone in a and you have to understand this. The media is not going to tell your story because you have accomplishments. The media is not your friend. It's not your enemy either. It's a business vehicle. You've got to come up with messages that work in a vehicle, in a vessel that's about getting ratings and revenue. It's not a secret what I'm saying. This is the truth. So Democrats, get yourself together. You've got buddies in Hollywood. Come up with messages. Come up with commercials. Sell it and be proud and stop feeling bad about yourselves for a change. You're doing something great here. And the thing is also, I think what, De- what Republicans are really good at, Tom, is, is, is sort of allocating a villain and saying, OK, maybe the economy looks bad, but the real villain is communism. The real villain is the Russians. The real, vi- you know, back when they were anti, now they're really pro-Russian. But it's a whole weird thing. But the real villain vision is them. It's something out there. It's the border. It's the brown people. It's the Muslims. It's somebody. Democrats have another party that they're facing that is tearing democracy apart. But they don't want to say that. They have Louis DeJoy sitting there destroying the Postal Service. But they don't want to say that. I, I don't know your, your thoughts. <laughs> one, of, one of the great triumphs of the Republican Party, and I say this as a former Republican, is that we got Democrats to internalize our criticisms of the Democratic oh, yeah. Party. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. by telling them that, you know, if you criticize Louis DeJoy, you're, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're uh, taking out, you know, you're, you're dumping on the United States of America. You yeah. know, uh, if you don't, if, if one person is suffering, you're not living up to the promise of your party. Yeah. And, and I think Republicans really got inside the heads of they Democrats did. about this. They, they really need to let go of that. And, and it's time for them to step up because it's not about party. It's about them being the only party left that cares about democracy. Get it together. It's time for them to step up. Absolutely time for them to step up. And yes, they are not doing it right at all. Democrats really have an economy on fire. They have jobs on fire. They have social programs that they're putting out there to help those who have been maligned and and disenfranchised for several decades under Reaganomics. There's so much that is happening to make people's lives better under the policies that Biden and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party stands for, okay? There are a lot of these programs that, if, if put into action, will make the lives of people a lot better. There's nothing Marxist about that. There's just something called humane about it. Nothing more, nothing less. And anybody who says otherwise simply doesn't get it and simply doesn't, shouldn't really be listened to because, again, they don't know what they're talking about. 
seems like I'm going to give Brother Chuck Todd two kudos in one week. Actually, we all know that the mainstream media loves false equivalences. They try to equate Republican and Democratic Party. I mean, they're politicians. Yeah, true. But there's one group of politicians that are doing more harm to everybody else than any other. One party that's doing more harm than anybody else. And we all know it to be the one who causes the problem, the Republican Party. It's not a question. We just have to look at the numbers, right? They're the ones that don't want uh, health care. They're the ones that don't want family leave. They're the ones that want all the taxes going to the wealthy and at the same time to allow most of us to hold the bag, to pay the bill. They're the ones who are moving us towards indentured servitude. And, you know, Chuck Todd did the right thing today. Now they want, they want to hold the American economy hostage so they don't want to pass increasing the debt, uh, the debt ceiling, all these things that we have to do they want to leave it alone. You know, let's, let's put it on the Democrats or have the economy crash. We don't care about people. That's where they're at. Well, finally, today, Chuck Todd, actually, he still tried to blame both sides. Come on, get with it, people. But he did break from the false equivalencies we're used to having from him. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. Dow, which fell over 600 points this morning after the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, testified in Capitol Hill that inflation would likely get worse, setting up the Fed to potentially raise interest rates sooner than expected and to pull back a bit faster on the buying of assets. Powell was joined by the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who testified about the state of the economy and the importance of raising the debt limit. Her testimony comes as Congress's deadline to raise the debt limit quickly approaches, perhaps mid-December. Perhaps it can go farther, but who knows? There's still only a few more legislative days left in the session before December 15th, the earliest that the U.S. could begin defaulting on its debt. Yellen delivered a dire warning about what could happen if Congress fails to act. I cannot overstate how critical it is that Congress address this issue. America must pay its bills on time and in full. If we do not, we will eviscerate our current recovery. In a matter of days, the majority of Americans would suffer financial pain as critical payments like Social Security checks and military paychecks would not reach their bank accounts, and that would likely be followed by a deep recession. Aren't all members of Congress folks. Come on, members of Congress, aren't you embarrassed by the silliness of this debt limit thing that we go through this shenanigan? Just shame on all of you. Shame. Come on. Particularly Republicans, you're playing games this time. I know the Democrats play games, but enough of this. This is stupid. Enough of it. I know the Democrats play games, but it's mostly you, Republicans. That was a break from false equivalency. Thank you, Chuck Todd. That's a start. Let's start making that more obvious and let's start making it more, let America understand that that is exactly what's going on. Because as long as you guys keep saying, on one hand, we have this, on the other hand, we have this, we give plausible deniability to those who are doing evil and plausible deniability where evil is applied hurts us all. Good job. Well, kind of good job on this one, Chuck. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis. Today we have the honor of speaking to Senor Clarence Miller. Clarence is throwing himself into the fold to become the commissioner of 
Harris County, Commissioner of District 4. Did I say that right, Mr. Precinct? Precinct. Yeah, Precinct Harris County, Precinct 4. Harris County, Precinct 4. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Clarence Miller, how are you doing today, sir? I am just fantastic, and I'm just excited that um, you gave me an opportunity to come on your show and talk to your uh, great listeners. I've heard, heard a lot of great, fantastic things about you, and so I've just been anxiously waiting with anticipation. So thank well, you. Look. Wow, uh, that makes me kind of feel good, but you make me, you're, you're concerning me. But actually, let, let me just give a disclaimer here. We are an unabashedly fair program. And not only that, we invite all good people who want to represent the people here to our program. And we know that you're a good person and you know that you support all the important causes in our community. So I want to tell you that it is our honor to have you here on politics done right. So let's go ahead and get busy, okay? Okay. Um, why exactly do you want to throw yourself into the commissioner's race? I mean, uh, it's not like that is the most glamorous of all political offices. So why do you want to go there? Well, let me tell you exactly how it happened for me. Uh, back in 2018, when the current commissioner actually won, uh, we kind of know each other. And I was actually congratulating him. And as I was congratulating him, if you believe, and I'm only speaking to the believers, the spirit was so intense, it told me to run for his office. It kind of uh, kind of frightened me. And I had to look around and see who the spirit was talking to, because I had never experienced anything like this in my life. And, you know, I said, well, I don't even send to myself. I don't even know what a commissioner to do. So I had to go back to my office and actually Google what a commissioner did. And once I did, I discovered that everything I've been doing probably the last 16 years is what a commissioner does. Uh, for instance, I was one of the uh, first general manager directors of a utility district. Uh, but, you know, in my life, uh, I've learned that when God commands you to do something, you don't question it. You just go ahead and just do it. You know, so since then, I've been actually actively campaigning for this particular job. And so I've never questioned it since then. But then when I looked at it, I looked and I saw uh, that um, I didn't like the direction that the country was going in. I didn't like a lot of people that were in office. And I didn't think that, uh, you know, they might have been good people, but, you know, they just wasn't really doing a good job for the people. OK. And I have been always raised to um, give back to the community. And I feel that that's a great quality. One of the most important qualities, a uh, politician or a leader must have. He has must be concerned about the people and take care of the people. OK. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, first of all, um, what makes you qualified? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I was with the U.S. Postal Service for 29 years. While with the U.S. Postal Service, I uh, ran their entire career awareness conference I was uh, on a board uh, for the Women Advisory Board, and we uh, made sure that women uh, rights were taken care of and they uh, received promotion. But I ran to be on the uh, board for the Houston Postal Credit Union, which is um, plus four today. And when I came in, they only had 10 million. When I left, we had 50 million dollars. And uh, I was a union member as well for 29 years. So after that, I was a, a small business owner and a real estate, a loan officer, insurance, even had a residential commercial pressure washing business. 
And I did that well over 15, 20 years. But for the last 16 years, I was a um, one of the first general manager directors of a utility district. And when I came into the utility district, they were $10 million in debt. In fact, I hired the attorney, the tax assessor, the engineer, uh, the operator, uh, all the consultants at my kitchen table. They just built a $2.5 million wastewater plant. Waste was right on the side. And someone said, well, it'll be okay. It will cure. I never heard of that before. So I voted to sue the developer. I'm the only one with the litigation. I won $112,000 and they had to repair the plant. And I'm not an attorney. Uh, Within five years, uh, due to my leadership, and at that time they made me president, we had over $5 million that I invested in the infrastructure. Uh, so my community has never flooded. Uh, within seven years, I built a multi-million dollar community center off of Hollister and the Beltway. And when I built the center, we created, uh, I created a senior citizen program where I would not only uh, help cook the food, I picked up the food and I put the tables and chairs out, even gave the seniors a black tie ball. And so then uh, I would try to get, um, you know, uh, different uh, organizations and stores to uh, give me donated money so I can really help the seniors out a little bit more. But I discovered that uh, since I didn't have a 501c at the time, they'd give me like a turkey or two. So I... um, I became a founder of a a 501C just so I could take care of my seniors, which is called Project Dillon, uh, named after my grandson. And so that way we began giving the seniors uh, gift cards and we give them black tie balls, take them on trips and just, you know, heaters, taking care of the seniors, you know. And then my senior said it was dark coming home. So we live on the corner of Bamanoff, Houston, the Beltway. So we installed lights all up and down the medium. So it's very unusual to see those kind of lights in an area like this. Usually it's the Galleria. So people are kind of amazed and shocked when they turn the corner and see those beautiful lights. And then the monument in my community was 40 years old. So we built a new monument. And my community only had one good road going in and out. They were driving across a lot. So we bought the lot and built them a brand new road. The... um, uh, community only had a fence going around the perimeter. So we built them a brick wall, a beautiful brick wall. And then we installed cameras at each entrance. Uh, we're currently building a $3.7 million park. Now we started off $10 million in debt. All these projects are paid for in cash. And the way we did it was we held the contracts accountable and cut the governmental waste. It was just that simple, you know? And so, um, the other thing, unique thing about me was when I came into the district, I noticed that nobody like me or no minority was really getting a piece of the pie. And so I opened it up for minority uh, contractors and vendors. In fact, I am responsible for over $500,000 into a minority-owned bank. Uh, I encouraged my uh, district to invest 240000 but I also encourage another one, another district to do the same. So that's why I say I'm responsible for 500000 in that bank. Uh, because utility districts uh, have millions of dollars. They're not allowed to invest in stocks and, uh, you know, uh, but they can invest, just put money in a bank. So why not put some in a minority-owned bank? That was my thinking. The other good thing, like I said, about me was that uh, – what I would do whenever we had a project, I would actively go out and uh, 
seek contractors that I thought was qualified to bid on these jobs. And, you know, if they weren't qualified, you know, I assist them in getting qualified to bid on the jobs, you know. And so I'm going to do the same thing as commissioner um, for um, precinct four. You know, I'm going to uh, make sure that uh, represent all the people, regardless if you vote for me or not, but I'm going to make sure everybody is represented and everybody get a piece of the pie because I believe that uh, that's what a good commissioner should do. Let me stop you right there, though, because it seems to me like we could go on and on and on. <laughs> one, of, one of the answers that I was looking for, the only answer that I was looking for is that because I care. OK, because and, and but but uh, you gave me the answer because I care by showing us that you cared by doing all those things that, that, that are out there. So, I mean, um, I, I, I think, that first of all, I'm in awe that you were able to do all those things in your community. We need a whole lot more people that think community more than anything else. I don't know how much of my show you listen to, but that is all that we're about, uh, making sure that we take care of each other, etc. I always call ourselves, or we're all our brothers and sisters keepers. Um, now, the question is now, um, how politically involved have you been in the county? Not very at all. Um, as a uh, director of a utility district, you know, you actually, uh, people in my community actually had to vote for me, but we only had 350 homes, you know. And so I was one of the first elected officials of my utility district. Uh, they had not had election over 20 years. And uh, I was uh, at home one day and received a notice that they needed somebody on the board. And I actually applied and they told me, uh, no, if I wanted to uh, get on the board to run. So I went and knocked on some doors and got me 20 votes. And I was a director of the mud district. <laughs> oh, that, that is good. I mean, the, the thing about I, the reason I, I, I didn't mean to be completely funny when I asked you about that. But the uh, reality is we all know that there are machines and operatives in every county in Texas and every county in the country. Uh, how are you going to supersede that machine and get to the people to put yourself out there and say, hey, I'm actually a viable candidate? Well, that's another reason why I've been out here almost four years already, uh, knocking on doors, um, talking to people. I've had voter registrations uh, in my driveway. Uh, we do food drives all over, uh, taking care of the people. Uh, and for instance, there's a, a community out in Old Time Spring. Um, they called me and said, Mr. Miller, can you help us? I said, what are your needs? They said, well, you know, we need water. We need sanitary supplies. We need school supplies. Within two weeks, I had assembly a team and uh, we uh, gave them school supplies. We gave them water. I had Spring HISD police out there with a therapy dog. I had uh, Beto Rock people out there registering uh, people to uh, vote. And uh, I had a uh, organization out there called NACA that was uh, signing people up uh, to get uh, government loans, you know, for homes. You know. uh, so to answer your question is that I've been out here four years already, uh, knocking on doors, uh, talking to people. I probably attend uh, three to four events every week. And I've been doing that for the last four years. I'm all on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, you name it. And I do realize and understand what you're saying about the machine. 
But I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that I've realized since I've been out here so long is that I've been able to uh, talk to uh, people uh, in all political arenas, from Republicans to independent, and they all want one thing. They want somebody that actually care and will uh, actually go in there and do the job. What is the demographics of your district? Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I have been in precinct four for over 40 some years, and I don't know if you're aware of it. They just redistrict this whole area. OK, so my, the home that I was living in is in precinct one now. And so we had to relocate to Katie just so we could, uh, you know, uh, stay in the race. You know, uh, but I think the demographic is, is uh, I think the. Um, Whites are probably about 50 percent, uh, Hispanic about 40 and and blacks probably around about 18 percent and Asians probably seven, eight percent. But you know what? At the end of the day, uh, regardless of what party you're with, no one wants to see the home flood. At the end of the day, people are tired of potholes. At the end of the day, you know, people are tired of uh, going to work. And, you know, what I tell people is like this. You know, we're living in a society now where kids cannot be kids. My grandson just turned eight years old, and uh, we were not able to really actually have a birthday celebration. We had to do a drive-by, you know. Uh, they are in the driveway, and we had to drive by waving at him, okay? Uh, now, the mothers, you know, can't go to work. Uh, they have to stay home and homeschool the kids. Uh, the fathers are having to work two jobs. You know, taxes are so high, you know. Now they got to come home and also help the kids. Now you got grandparents that can't afford to uh, stay retired because they got to go out there and work for Walmart or whatever, you know, in their service as natives. That's just not right. And so when I look at uh, the country, the county, you know, I cannot just sit around and not do my part. You know, I want to do my part to help, you know, my community, you know, my county and my country. And that is why I am running. You know, you have a lot of people that just jumped into this race. I've been out here for four years. Now that they've redistricted, they feel like it's winnable. But even when it was supposed to be a red state, I was I had no fear because I felt that even um, whoever, Republican, independents, whoever, just looking for somebody that can do the job. Now, they might not tell their friends that they would vote for me. But at the end of the day, when they go behind that booth, they're going to vote for the person that can do the job. And I feel that that's really what it's all about. Okay? Clarence, it sounds like you listen to Cape, to politics then right ever so often, because I tell, <laughs> that's the way I tell people to vote for progressives in, in, in my arena. I tell them, remember, vote your heart, vote what you need for your community, because when you vote behind the curtains, it's between you, your vote, right. and your God. So Absolutely. if you can remember that, you can get to anybody. And I, I, and I think that is very, very important. And I think... What what I love hearing hearing from you right now is that you are not you're you you you're talking about breaking that false ethnic barrier, and I don't I, I don't I don't say that I don't say that disparagingly at all. I say that meaning that some of us allow ourselves too often to remain in a box. And what I like about what you've had to say thus far is expanding the box of not. Not saying I'm. Uh, I am going to simply. I asked you the demographic question, and you turned the demographic question into I don't care, which right. is something that I I I I admire because it goes out and it says 
I'm going there to win your vote, not to win your vote because of what you look like or what I look like. Right. Right. You know, when I uh, fed my senior citizens or took care of my senior citizens, I didn't ask them what political party they belonged to. Didn't care. You know, only thing I said I asked was, hey, are you actually a senior or you of age? Uh, you're welcome. You know, uh, so I never asked a person, you know, what party they're with when I'm talking to a person coming to me and they need some. I'm going to help them out. Because I'm originally from Huntsville, Texas, which is about 45 minutes from Houston. I was I was raised in a four room house. I'm not talking about a four bedroom house. Uh, it was, uh, you know, eight siblings. We had a living room, a kitchen and two bedrooms. And when my mom would cook, she'd always cook food for the neighbors. And I said, Mother, why are you always giving our food away? And my mother would say, son, you always have to help the poor folks. I said, well, Mother, whether you realize or not, we are really poor. She said, boy, we're not poor. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> and then one day, I went to a friend's house, and they had all this food. I said, man, how y'all get all this food? He said, man, we get food stamps. I said, well, what are food stamps? And he explained them to me. I ran home to tell my mother, I said, mother, you know, they got, some, uh, they got something called food stamps, and we can go get some. My mother turned around and said, Boy, that's for the poor folks. I said, Mother, we're really poor. <laughs> so I didn't grow up with a poor mindset, even though, you know, because yeah, even though I was poor, I didn't grow up with a poor mindset. You know, that I don't know if you understand, I don't know if you get it. That is a powerful <laughs> statement right there. Okay. That is a powerful statement. And uh, I think I'm going to leave it. At that, I'm going to ask you two last questions and I'm going to ask you, let's wrap this up in about three minutes. The first question is about um, why should someone vote for Clarence Miller? And the last question, I'm giving you both of them so that you can think about the last one ahead of time. And the last one is, what should I have asked you that I didn't? Okay. Uh, The first question, which is a great question, why should someone vote for Clarence Miller? If I wasn't Clarence Miller, I'd vote for him. You know? uh, and I'm not being uh, funny uh, with that uh, answer, response. Uh, I'm, I'm very serious because I was raised, as I just told you that story, to be a very caring person and to give back. Um, I've been on the front line even for the pandemic. My wife and I, you know, uh, you know assisting the, the kids, assisting the senior citizens. And I did all that, not even uh, thinking about running for a higher office. And I even told you the story about how, you know, it came to me to run for this particular office because I promise you it was nothing I never, I've never thought about in my entire life. But when God gives you a mission, that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, so as I told you earlier, you know, whether people vote for me or not, you know, I'm still going to take care of you because I'm going to be the hardest working person, which I always have been, that you will ever see, because I realize this job is just not a nine to five. It's a, it's a 24-7, 365 day job, and I'm up for the task. I feel that I'm highly qualified to step in day one, for because for the last 16 years, that's all I've ever done. Uh, I've been doing is working with the infrastructure. It's what a commissioner does. Commissioner take care of your roads, your bridges, uh, they set on the board, set tax rate. Uh, that's what I've been doing. And so where most candidates, you know, are just getting on board because they feel like it's winnable. I've always felt it was winnable because I only look at people as people. And, um, you know, people are tired of their homes flooding, you know. Um, so I'm ready to do the job. OK. And what was that other question? I forgot. <laughs> 
I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You muted. I can't believe that you didn't get that question. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Oh, okay. What would I like you to ask me that I didn't? Okay. Um, I guess, um, what are my concerns? Yeah. And commissioner. So what are your concerns? My concerns, I guess, would be is that um, I won't be able to work and put the number of hours and time in as I want to, because even if I work uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a week, 365 days, I'm going to always feel like I can do more. So that would be my concern that uh, I'm still not doing enough. Does that make sense to you? That makes absolutely that. That is uh, anybody who sits down and believe that they've done enough and they're done. That's somebody that really isn't for any particular job. I work 16 hours a day doing what I do. I'm not telling anybody else to do 16 hours a day. I'm just saying. Uh, but that's that's a that's a type of feeling that I believe leaders or p- people who want others to follow them should have. So I think that is commendable. Uh, Clarence Miller, candidate for Precinct 4, Harris County. It's yes. been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. I wish you the best. Yes, you sir. have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you, sir. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right. On YouTube Live at politics slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That's it, folks. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program.